For countries ravaged by war and natural disasters, international charities and aid agencies are a lifeline. But what if the people delivering aid become part of the problem? Some perpetrators join up with aid agencies to be able to have their way in a society that has largely broken down. Three years after a major Times investigation shook the aid sector when it revealed a sex scandal at Oxfam, the problem persists. The Times has now learnt that Oxfam's mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo has been plagued by allegations of fraud, bullying, sexual harassment, assault and even attempted poisoning. They've been reporting concerns about serious misconduct and power abuses that have been taking place within Oxfam in the DRC for at least six years. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Oxfam scandal in the DRC. It started really with just a text message from an unrecognised number, somebody saying, is this Sean O'Neill of The Times? That, if you hadn't guessed, is Sean O'Neill of The Times. He's our chief reporter and a crack investigative journalist. A colleague recommended I get in touch with you with regard to Oxfam. Are you interested? To which my answer was yes. The texter was one of a group of whistleblowers who had become concerned about the conduct of Oxfam in the Democratic Republic of Congo. They alerted Sean to the existence of a letter. It's quite extraordinary letter, which was, it's 10 pages long, it's quite densely typed, and sent to the chief executives of Oxfam GB and Oxfam International, written towards the end of February. The letter was written by a group of 22 men and women, all current or former Oxfam staff, who are either Congolese or have worked extensively with Oxfam's mission in the DRC. Many of whom wish to remain anonymous because they're concerned about possible retaliation. They say they've been reporting concerns about serious misconduct and power abuses that have been taking place within Oxfam in the DRC for at least six years. They've reported these through multiple channels, but no action's been taken. The letter goes on to name 11 people who it claims were involved, and it outlines some pretty extraordinary allegations. Abuse of power, breaches of internal policies, systemic fraud, a culture of bullying, sexual harassment, sexual exploitation, sexual abuse, breaches of confidentiality, and then threats, intimidation, and allegations of attempted poisoning. Yep, you heard that right. Allegations of attempted poisoning. Here's what the letter says about that. Some national staff, that's Congolese staff, report that they have been threatened. Many staff have reported threats of poisoning to attempted poisonings by colleagues in positions of power. Some staff are afraid for their life as retribution from having reported against or fallen out of favour with people in positions of power. The letter sets out a number of abuses. Here's the charge sheet against just one of the individuals accused. Sexual harassment of female staff members through inappropriate comments about their appearance and clothing in the office. Sexual abuse and harassment of female interns. Relationships with more junior female staff members, including female interns. Giving internships to the families of his girlfriends. Recruitment and promotion of junior female staff members despite poor performance and through processes in breach of Oxfam's policies. 
boasting about having multiple girlfriends and about visiting sex workers, stating to staff that marital rape was a concept invented by Western women. In one instance, he said that this was done to create jobs for women at organisations like Oxfam. And they go on to say there are many other allegations against other male staff members in the DRC relating to sexual misconduct and visiting sex workers. This happens in a climate where staff in the DRC office know that this behaviour is accepted and tolerated. And as the perpetrators are protected, it is dangerous to report them. The letter goes on to say that these are just some of the issues that have been raised again and again with Oxfam by a variety of former and current staff. The fact that 16 signatories of this letter, many have left Oxfam by now, want to remain anonymous, is an important sign that fear and mistrust continue to prevail and should be acted on urgently. That is utterly alarming. The idea that there would be a letter like that in existence and yet everybody would have turned away. 11 people being accused. So this isn't sort of a one-off. This is something quite systemic. Some were accused of turning a blind eye or not doing enough. But there are two people in particular who it focuses on. And after we began making inquiries about this case, those two people were suspended by Oxfam. When repeated complaints over a number of years led to no change at Oxfam, the whistleblowers turned to Sean. They knew he was the journalist who'd first exposed the scandal at Oxfam three years ago when he investigated the behaviour of Oxfam staff in Haiti. What we uncovered in Haiti was a sex scandal that Oxfam had buried for seven or eight years. Oxfam had set up a huge mission in Haiti following the earthquake in 2010. We need more people down here. We need more people down here. Help is on its way, but for now, Haiti is battling the aftermath of a devastating natural disaster, which, according to the country's prime minister, could claim over 100,000 lives. Help poured in from around the world. But among the thousands who worked tirelessly, Oxfam discovered, to its horror, that some of its staff used local prostitutes, some of whom were possibly underage. They had uh, an internal investigation that was conducted in 2011 into allegations of sexual misconduct by a group of seven or eight staff. And there were basically two elements to that. There was a group of men uh, living at um, some apartments. They were all engineers and aid workers working for Oxfam. It turns out that these men were throwing huge sex parties and to quote one of the witnesses who spoke to us there were sex workers at these parties and he said these girls were wearing oxfam t-shirts running around half naked it was like a full-on Caligula orgy it was unbelievable it was crazy at one party there were at least five girls and two of them had oxfam white t-shirts on these men used to talk about holding quote young meat barbecues unquote and there was a kind of systemic kind of living wild thing going on on the Oxfam aid budget. And the people being exploited were the people that Oxfam was supposed to be helping. They were young women, young girls. The the witnesses who spoke to us said they were convinced some of them were actually young girls aged under 16. And therefore they were people who were being raped because they're below the age of consent. Separate to that, you had another issue with the country director, the most senior Oxfam official in the country, a man called Roland van Hauermeyeren, former Belgian army officer. He had been 
sleeping with young girls at his villa, which was known as the Eagle's Nest, and basically exchanging aid for sex, giving food and items to young women and their families in return for sexual favours. And one of the most shocking elements of the whole scandal was that Oxfam allowed Van Hauermeyer in uh, what they called in their investigation report a phased and dignified exit. He was basically given a month's notice and allowed to resign quietly while uh, his juniors, uh, who were caught at the other building, were either dismissed or resigned while under investigation. And, and then to compound everything, Oxfam didn't tell anybody else in the aid sector what had happened here. They kept it secret from the Charity Commission, kept it secret from the Foreign Office, and they kept it secret from the other NGOs. So many of these men went on to work elsewhere. And um, indeed, other Oxfam employees later came across Van Hauermeyeren working in, in another aid mission elsewhere. Sean's investigation, carried on the front page of the Times in February 2018, sent shockwaves across the aid sector. Oxfam was investigated by the Charity Commission and the British government banned the charity from receiving aid money until it could prove it had changed. The trigger for getting in touch with me was the decision last month of the Foreign Office to restore Oxfam to the community of of recognised and accepted NGOs in the sense that the Foreign Office was going to allow Oxfam once again to bid for UK aid money. I think what underpins all of it is their repeated expression of threads through the whole letter that they've been raising this with Oxfam leadership for five or six years and are bitterly disappointed that no action has been taken. And yet, everybody's suddenly given Oxfam a clean bill of health to to go back to business as usual. I mean, Sean, for you, were you surprised to get this letter from whistleblowers, given that, you know, a few years ago, you uncovered the, the scandal in Haiti. It led to this great moment in the sector, really, the whole charity sector, but certainly in Oxfam, where, you know, they, they looked at the way they behaved in different parts of the world There was a real sense that this couldn't be allowed to happen again. And yet here we are. I suppose my initial reaction was almost disappointment because, as you say, there were all these conferences and pledges and policies and inquiries and, you know, Britain has said repeatedly it'll take a a global lead in, in driving safeguarding forward. But I think this is a big, perhaps a bigger problem than we realised in 2018. After receiving the letter, Sean approached Oxfam for an explanation of how it had handled these complaints. When Sean got in touch and they realised the story would soon be in the public domain, the charity finally took action against some of those who'd been accused. Here's what Oxfam said. We can confirm we have suspended two members of Oxfam staff in the Democratic Republic of Congo as part of an ongoing external investigation, which we set up last November into allegations of abuse of power, including bullying and sexual misconduct. The Charity Commission were notified at the start of the investigation. We have kept them informed about its progress. We are acutely aware of our duty to survivors, including in supporting them to speak out safely. We're working hard to conclude the investigation fairly, safely and effectively. But behind the scenes, there was a real concern about the safety of the whistleblowers. 
right up until the day before we published the stories in the Times, we were negotiating with Oxfam about what we were going to say. And they were very concerned about naming these two individuals in particular because they were concerned about the safety and security of the whistleblowers. They felt that if we named these two individuals in the publication of the story, that that would endanger people, which in itself is quite alarming, I think. It's unbelievable. I mean, they were willing to keep these people in a position of power and responsibility, even though they believed them capable of doing some real damage to the whistleblowers. That was basically the message we got from Oxfam, was if there could be reprisals if you print these names. I know, given current circumstances, you haven't been to the Democratic Republic of Congo, but what do you know about the way Oxfam was working there? Because... I mean, we both looked at the charity sector for a while and it's awful to say, but it feels like sort of sexual exploitation and sexual harassment is sort of alarmingly common. The DRC has a very long history of conflict and disasters and in the last decade has had multiple Ebola outbreaks, which I think occupy a lot of the aid agencies. But it also has a long history now and an emerging history of sexual exploitation problems where it would seem that some perpetrators join up with aid agencies to be able to have their way to to do what they want to do in, in a society that has largely broken down. Sadly, this wasn't the first red flag about Oxfam's aid programme in the DRC. We had a major investigation last year by the New Humanitarian and the Thomson Reuters Foundation where they find a wide-ranging jobs for sex racket going on within the World Health Organization's response to Ebola in the DRC. So I think some 50 witnesses came forward in that investigation by journalists who had been on the ground and gave information about, about the WHO, but also a large number of other charities. And there was one allegation in that investigation against Oxfam. And that investigation was in turn looked into on Oxfam's behalf by an organisation called the Humanitarian Quality Assurance Initiative, which is a kind of watchdog monitoring body which measures NGOs against various standards of behaviour. But their report, which is quite interesting, says that as long ago as 2018, Oxfam had identified its operation in the DRC as, quote, a particularly high-risk country in regard to safeguarding. And at that time, Oxfam's safeguarding team had been working with the Oxfam DRC team to address these issues. So you have quite a history of, of abuses and exploitation and people taking advantage of the situation in the DRC. And it's not only the DRC. Concern for other Oxfam projects is now growing. People repeatedly telling me now this last week that there are five countries of concern within the Oxfam Confederation, if you like. They're concerned about the, the level of sexual exploitation and sexual abuse that's ongoing. Oxfam's history in the DRC stretches back decades. The organisation, first set up in 1942, began its mission in the country just 20 years later, when the Republic of Congo, as it was known then, had just recently gained independence from Belgium. Its work 
recently, I think, has been heavily involved in the response to the various Ebola outbreaks. I mean, Oxfam is originally a water and sanitation a kind of public health charity. So a lot of its work has been in that field. And it's currently working, I think, in six provinces in the DRC, has a team of about 280 Oxfam staff, mm. but obviously will work with local organisations to deliver sanitation projects, life-saving assistance. I think the budget is around about £5 million for the Oxfam uh, operation in DRC every year. Since Sean exposed the scandal in Haiti, Oxfam has adopted new safeguarding procedures, policies and training throughout the organisation. The problem is you have people running the training and operating the whistleblowing hotlines and managing the mission in the country who don't really believe in these policies and don't adhere to them. Now that these two members of staff have been suspended, have things changed? There was relief. It's a complete mixture. You know, there's that kind of euphoria that something is being done, but this kind of sense of alarm that, It's not being done quickly enough. I mean, somebody said to me this morning, actually, I think the only option is to abandon the entire Oxfam mission in the DRC and rebuild it from scratch with a completely different new team of people. The suggestion has been there's something rotten in the way this operation has been run and that it's been that way for a long time, that it's so deeply embedded in either people or structures that the only way around it is to start again too hard to change a culture, I suppose. There is a culture problem. And, you know, some of the people who are talking to me have worked elsewhere around the world and they say there are one or two other places where similar problems exist. For more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. Sign up today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. When Sean's initial investigation into Oxfam broke three years ago, there was a public outcry. As the aid sector came under new scrutiny around the world, politicians, regulators and aid workers called for urgent reforms. Oxfam senior management was summoned to the British government's aid department and asked for a full explanation. Shortly after the meeting, Oxfam's first head rolled. The deputy chief executive handed in her resignation. 
As programme director at the time, I am ashamed that this happened on my watch and I take full responsibility. It soon became clear that Oxfam wasn't the only charity facing safeguarding problems. I was working at the BBC at the time when I broke the story of the sexual harassment scandal at the heart of another big charity, Save the Children. I observed sexualised cultures in my workplace when I worked at Save the Children against women who were not treated actually as equals in their workplace. I was at that point pretty aware that we had a systemic problem because it couldn't possibly just be one organisation, one experience. The Charity Commission launched investigations into both charities. The Parliamentary Select Committee for Aid launched its own inquiry and the Department for International Development froze their funding there seemed to be a huge political momentum building for real change. I felt that a lot of people were saying things would change for the better. That was helped in the UK by the fact that you had a Secretary of State for International Development, Penny Mordaunt, who at the time made this a, a real key issue. Oxfam and Save the Children were both told they can't bid for funds from the British aid budget. I, I think since she's left, and indeed since DFID has been folded into the Foreign Office, perhaps there is less of a commitment, less of a drive to that. I mean, I, I personally don't know who is in charge of the subject of international development at the FCDO now. And, and you know, I'm not sure that, that anybody has a seat around the cabinet table driving that. I mean, there's still a lot of talk about this issue in the sector and I think it's fair to say that it's going to take a long time to change cultures and to embed, you know, kind of Me Too style responses and working practices in countries where there is disaster and hunger and desperation and lawlessness. In response to Sean's piece in The Times, a spokesperson for the Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office has said they will not consider any new funding to Oxfam until this issue has been resolved. As far as the Foreign Office is concerned, the key thing for them is that Oxfam has reported this properly to it and to the Charity Commission. And, and that's a key difference from what happened in, in, in the Haiti situation. It'll be interesting to see how much transparency there is around this investigation report when it is completed. If the report is quite damning, if it says that Oxfam didn't do as much as it could have done when it was first alerted to the allegations... Would they be withdrawing aid again, or, or has that threat gone away? I haven't had any sense of what will happen with that. The British aid budget, despite the cuts, is still a substantial amount of money. And they need large aid organisations like Oxfam to deliver the projects on the ground, uh, to spend that money for them. So I think they absolutely need Oxfam to be part of the machinery. And, and it's actually a problem having Oxfam outside the machinery. So although Oxfam regularly criticises government and government policy, the two are inextricably linked together, you know. Britain has money to spend and it needs organisations that know the territory, know the ground, have the logistical machinery in place to spend that money for Britain. And in terms of regulation now, you know, has anything changed? If, if charities do have cases like this, you know, whether they report them or not, if they still have a culture where abuses are taking place, who calls them out? Is there any form of, of punishment? The Charity Commission is the key regulator for the charitable sector. But 
I mean, I've lost count. The number of charities in Britain is, I believe, well into six figures. Uh, the Charity Commission is a small organisation whose budget is much smaller than it was a decade ago. It doesn't have the resources, it doesn't have the teeth, and nor does it have the remit to investigate the larger organisations, especially where abuses are happening overseas. I personally feel that the Charity Commission has watered down some of its findings and some of the investigations because it has been threatened with legal action, not necessarily by the charities themselves, but by previous trustees or previous senior figures in those charities. The Charity Commission clearly needs more resources, but would that be enough? There have also been calls to set up an international ombudsman, an organisation that can cross borders and investigate charities wherever they operate in the world, independently. These things have just been buried because of COVID and the pandemic. You know, a a lot of these things have been forgotten about. And I think it it can't be beyond the weight of the international community to, to find a way to make something like that work. I think that's quite urgent if you have transnational organisations like Oxfam operating, you know, all over the world, but no real accountability mechanism for them. The outbreak of COVID-19 has shifted focus in the charity sector. Countries are reducing international aid and focusing closer to home instead. But the need for aid in developing countries hasn't magically disappeared. If anything, it's worse than ever, given the pandemic. I know Oxfam's donations last year were down. They've been hit by, I mean, all the things, you know, the pandemic, all the charity shops have been closed. So charity shops are a major source of income. And of course, stories like this do not help their reputations, do not help their image, and ultimately do not help their bank balances. Given the reputational damage caused by these scandals, will Oxfam act decisively to address the problem? So this is quoting directly from the letter. Staff now feel that there is very little that has not been tried when it comes to reporting abuses of power in the DRC, yet the perpetrators remain in post within Oxfam with increased power to carry out abuses. There is a general acknowledgement by Oxfam staff at all levels that there has been serious acts of abuse and harassment for many years within the DRC country office and a constant refrain from Oxfam that action is imminent, yet six years later this has not resulted in any concrete changes. Conversely, the existing systems protect perpetrators and often put survivors, witnesses and whistleblowers in danger when they are further targeted by the abusers of power. People have often been targeted through threats to their lives and their families' lives through defamation campaigns aimed at discrediting their accounts. Tactics have included attacks on their competence and experience, the invention of fabricated, extremely serious counter-accusations which are not addressed by senior management despite repeated requests. This situation is in spite of reports being made confidentially through Oxfam's systems, with the repercussions and dangers often much more severe for national staff. Many Oxfam staff have lost faith in Oxfam's promises of accountability and in the principles that Oxfam says it stands for. It sounds like they must have been pretty desperate. All the mechanisms that were set up to report were used and nothing happened. People were complaining and complaining and complaining and feeling like they were banging their heads against a brick wall. And somewhere in Oxford, people were ticking boxes and and making up policies and saying, well, we need to do some training here. But they certainly weren't reaching 
the people who were grieved and concerned and felt they were being exploited. You know, they, they were reaching out to, to people in positions of power who seemed to be, you know, the people against whom accusations were being levelled. That's so depressing to think that in countries that already have so many problems, the aid sector ends up becoming part of the problem rather than the solution. In the past, this might have been hidden. These stories are coming out more and more because there is a focus on them. And the Foreign Office said this week in a response to the Commons International Development Committee report on progress on tackling these issues. This is a quote from the Foreign Office's response to the IDC report. It says... We agree with the International Development Committee that sexual exploitation, abuse and harassment perpetrated by aid workers still happens far too often. We believe that the extent of the problem has long been and remains underreported in the short to medium term. Therefore, an increase in the number of concerns reported is likely to be a positive sign that reporting channels are working and that victims feel able to come forward. People in this sector say this as well, that they are going to get a lot more publicity about this, a lot more concern about this in public because it is now a focus. You know, I think in the past, the Charity Commission and other bodies were, were primarily concerned with fraud. Fraud was the big issue, was the money going to waste? Now, in the, in the wake of Me Too, in the wake of Haiti, there is much more focus on safeguarding exploitation and the, the lack of control, lack of monitoring of, of basically sex offenders exploiting the aid sector for their own ends. Whilst there are still enormous and deeply ingrained cultural problems, there is also hope that the charity sector will have to reform. Oxfam's in the firing line and it's going to be in the spotlight for a long time because of... of 2018 because of Haiti. And, and I think in some ways perhaps Oxfam is maybe further ahead in terms of reform in itself and dealing with these issues than other charities. But it will always attract the spotlight because of its history. You know, the, the story about the WHO and what was happening in the Ebola crisis in the DRC did not get the same traction in the media or around the world in politics as it deserved. And I suspect there are abuses going on in other charities that are equally not getting the publicity that they should be getting. But Oxfam will always get that publicity because it's Oxfam, because it's associated with what happened in Haiti. And and again, from the journalistic perspective, I came to this story, the original story in 2018, not as a a, a kind of foreign affairs reporter or somebody who travelled with aid agencies and reported on their work. My background was in, in crime reporting primarily and... I'd done a lot of work on child abuse cases, abuses in the Catholic Church, things like that. And that's where I saw the parallels. I saw a powerful institution that was covering up for abusers and allowing abuses and exploitation to happen, but hiding those things because it was most bothered about protecting its own reputation. And I reported it that way. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Sean O'Neill, Chief Reporter for The Times. You can read all of Sean's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Leona Hamid. 
The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If there's a story that you'd think we should be covering, if you have any ideas for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do get in touch. You can send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow.